welcome to Inspired Island, where every episode we sit down with someone living an inspired life here on Vashon Island in Puget Sound. From world-class artists and musicians to chefs and business owners, our little rural island has it all. I'm your host, Grace McRae, a new full-time Vashon Island resident, and thank you for joining me on this journey to discover why Vashon is such an inspired island. And hello, everyone. I'm so excited today to be sitting down in the studio with Meredy Bonadia. Welcome, Meredy. Thank you. Glad to be here. I've heard of Meredy because she's involved with the Vashon Heritage Museum's current exhibit, In and Out, Being LGBTQ on Vashon Island. And it's actually the museum's largest special exhibit ever. And it explores the long history of LGBTQ people on Vashon. And Meredy is a sort of a mover and shaker behind the scenes putting on a queer film festival that we'll hear more about here on the island that's connected to the exhibit. So, Meredy, I know you've listened to Inspired Island before, so you kind of know that we love to go back to the beginning of your story and hear a little bit about your childhood and where you grew up. So, uh, my father was called off, called up in the Korean War when I was six months old, and he started his lifetime in the military. And I was born in South Dakota, but lived all over. And actually today I call Hawaii my home. And so did you go through primary school and all that in Hawaii? No, we first moved to Japan from the Midwest when I was about six. And that just opened up my world. You know, after being in the Midwest for six years, here I was Mm -hmm. in 1956 in Japan. It was like, whoa, people really live differently in the world. And then after that, in 57, we moved to Hawaii. And then we were in Hawaii off and on. And because of the military, I probably went to 12 schools in 12 years. I know that can be very tough for some kids. Were you okay with it? Or how did you handle all that moving around? It it was tough. Particularly, I moved from Hawaii to Washington, D.C. after freshman year in high school. Mm. And I'd been a surfer and loved the outdoors. And here I was in an urban setting Didn't know where the water was. (laughs) It it was really hard. That was probably the hardest move for me. Um, I came from D.C. to Vashon, so I'm well aware of the lack of water and sometimes the outdoor activities can be limited. (laughs) And what were you like as a kid? I was kind of an introvert. I love the outdoors. My mother has a couple of stories that I didn't talk much before kindergarten. I have an older brother that talked a lot for me Mm. and... So I was outside, and, and luckily I ended up in Hawaii. I think that was sort of the world's gift to me, was to end up in Hawaii and be outdoors. I became a competitive swimmer and mm. surfer and just loved it. Where did you go to college? I actually went to college later in life. I graduated from Evergreen when I was 46. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a good college. Yeah, yeah it was. It really, it really fit me. Good. And so what, what did you do in the time between, say, you graduated high school and between then and when you went to college? Well, I graduated in D.C. Mm-hmm. and it was in 1968. So I became part of that whole kind of hippie movement, went to Woodstock. I kind of was on the road for most of 69. And then a lot of my high school friends went to New York City for college. Long story, I ended up back in Hawaii in the end, but then about three months later, I moved to New York City. And 
because I really wanted to become an activist. It really, a lot of the anti-Vietnam War had touched me. You know, I'd lived it personally. And on Hickam Air Force Base, I was getting a lot of flack. I had to resist the draft sticker on my car Mm. and were helping people who were trying to get out of the draft. And I was living with my parents. And, you know, on an Air Force base, if you do something wrong, the commanding officer finds out and then contacts your father. Mm. And then there, you know, you just end up in a lot of hot water. And New York was a real breath of fresh air for me because I knew people that were involved with all kinds of politics. I joined a women's conscious raising group and started being active with some squatters and helped start a women's center. Were your parents okay with the activism? Um, They kind of didn't really get involved in my life too much after that. I mean, my my mother would send me, you know, care packages at Easter, or I could call and collect when I needed to, which I really didn't want to need them. So it was a big separation, a real change in my life, Not, not only in the structure of my life living in the military, but also trying to figure out who I was because I never felt at home in the military. Yeah. And New York was really an opportunity to me. I I call my stay in New York sort of my activism academic period where I I learned how to do politics, how to be an activist, but also find out who Meredith is. Yeah. I know sometimes activism doesn't pay well, so were you able to support yourself financially during this time in New York? Yeah, but I, I've never gotten paid for activism. I In New York, I worked temporary office work. I was actually a live-in maid for a while, and my activism was in my own spare time on my own terms. And how did you make your way to the West Coast? I went on a tr- road trip with some high school friends, and Mike Dergelitis and I decided we would leave the group and we wanted to hitchhike to Seattle because our friend Toby was here for the summer. And it was quite a trip. And the last hundred miles, the people we were hitchhiking with picked up this boy who had bicycled across the country. And so I started asking him all kinds of questions. And, you know, I started thinking, well, maybe I could do that. And... I remember that moment when I drove into Seattle, you know, where you come around the corner and there's Seattle and the mountains. And I'm like, I'm moving here next year and I'm bicycling all the way. So when I got here, I asked Toby, I said, I'm, I'm putting $10 in the bank. And if you want to come with me next summer, I'm bicycling to Seattle. And he agreed. Oh, my goodness. So we went back to New York, and I got into my live-in maid's job, and we sewed outdoor equipment all winter, and I saved money. And when May came, we took off. Incredible. How long did that trip take? About three months. (laughs) Do you still have vivid memories from that one? Parts of it. Well, I'm, I'm writing my memoir. And that's one part I'm trying to sort of mine all the memories of, because that's the part that people are really interested in. But to tell the truth, bicycling every day for your average person can be pretty boring. Yeah. It's more, for me, it's more of a meditative event every day and a real thought process and an internal 
being an introvert, that, that's like perfect for me. And so when you got to Seattle, what happened next? Well, Seattle was in a heyday of activism. There were co-ops and women's health care collectives, just all kinds of things going on. We rented a house in Fremont, and we helped start the Finney Ridge Food Co-op. I was involved with the Fremont Women's Clinic, one of the founders, and just doing a lot of activism like that, helping people. I actually started learning about accounting, which I ended up kind of being my money career. And we started what we called alternative finance. And we would go out and we would help people start buying clubs because that's how a lot of the co-ops started was they started first as cheese buying clubs. Some neighbors would get together and they would buy bulk cheese and then break it up. So we, we would help those buying clubs set up their books. And a couple of those did turn into little food co-ops. And food co-ops is actually something I've been really interested in lately, particularly with like food waste and the plastics. Is that something that you all were thinking of back then? Or? Well, we were. We had we the one who started the bulk food movement in the food co-ops. Okay. Because almost everything we sold was bulk. Mm. And we didn't quite have the consciousness that we had today. The interesting thing, though, Fremont was the first place in the country that had curbside recycling. No way. Yeah, because we had an unofficial mayor at the time who was a real mover and shaker. And, you know, we all recycled aluminum cans and cans because you could take them to different sites around the city, but there was no curbside. So the guy started curbside recycling in Fremont. I love it. Yeah, it was really great. It was a great place to live back then. <laughs> really cool. And did you know of Vashon when you were living in Fremont? Had you heard of it? Uh, well, not in Fremont. I, I moved around quite a bit. I came out as a lesbian in 1974. And it turned out a friend of mine moved to Vashon. Okay. And a lot of times I would do like weekend cycling trips or whatever. And I would come back be a Southworth, get off at Vashon, spend the night at my friend Cha's, and then go on to Seattle the next day. So you saw Vashon first from a bike. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <Very> nice. <Yeah. laughs> Viking definitely seems to be a through. Yeah, it is. A common still pattern. Is. <laughs> That's really awesome. And I did see online that you've been involved with the Peace Corps. When did that start? I went to the Peace Corps in 2008, and but it started probably... Oh, years ago, mm. probably even in New York, because I knew people who would graduate from college and then they would go on to the Peace Corps and then I would see them when they got back. And because I didn't have a college degree, I felt like I couldn't apply. But in 1980, I started trying to get pregnant and I wasn't getting pregnant. So I, I decided, well, I'm going to apply for the Peace Corps and see what they say. And they were really interested in my application because I had done so much community organizing. Well, in the middle of that, I did get pregnant. (laughs) So (laughs) that kind of went on the back burner. (laughs) And then when my daughter graduated from high school in 2001, it took me about a year to figure out, I can do anything I want now. And so I filled out the application in 2007 and on New Year's Eve hit the send button. Wow. Well, and So I want to hear more about your time in the Peace Corps, but going back, so you had your daughter. Did you have a college degree by that time? No. Okay. She was born in 84, and I didn't graduate till 96. 
I got a year bookkeeping certificate in 1977, and then in about 1985, I decided to go back, and I was taking one course a quarter because I, I had a, my child, and then I also had foster children, and I was lucky to work in a place where they let me go uh, for an extended lunch to take a course at North Seattle Community College, and that's how I finished my two-year accounting degree. And then once I finished that, I got actually laid off from the place I worked at. So I decided to go full-time at Evergreen and try and get my four-year degree. Wow. Hard work. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of mis mismatched stuff, kind of like my life. I like it. It's like a quilt of many different experiences. Yeah. And so um, when did the move to Vashon happen? Well, I've been with my partner a long time, and she used to love to look at the sell ads, like the real ads and that kind of thing, you know, the little nickel when it was around. And she saw this farmhouse on Vashon that she thought we should go look at. I lived at 18th and King in this little house, and I had two foster kids, and it was kind of outgrowing us. And our foster children were going to graduate from high school really soon. And we came out and looked at it, and it was just not in very good shape. There were a lot of old buildings that were half-structured, loose wires in the shop building, things like that. And we looked at each other and we go, no, we're not doing this, <laughs> but let's look at Vashon. So we looked at Vashon and we almost bought a house, but I chickened out because my daughter was still in school. And I thought, well, I don't want to be off island with my daughter in school. So I kind of freaked out. Well, a year later, my neighbors, who had been my friends and neighbors for over 10 years, up and moved to Bainbridge. So I told my family, I said, well, let's look at Vashon again. And both my daughter and my partner said, don't back out this time. We really want to move. <laughs> we found a house right away. I like how adventurous they were as well. <laughs> I know. They're usually not quite that way, so I was very excited. I was the one holding them back, which, which is kind of unusual. So when you got to Vashon... Did you immediately take to the community, and did you start getting involved here? Well, I commuted for the first year. Okay. And it's really hard to get involved when you commute. But at the end of 1999, I got a job at the fire district, which put me right in the middle of the community. It was going through a lot of changes, and, you know, a lot of old-time islanders were there. And I really got to know the island. I worked there for eight and a half years. Okay. Amazing. Yeah, I'm sure you hear and see a lot if you're, yeah, you do. If you're involved with the fire district because here on Vashon, they see it, the fire district is just so, so huge. If you have an emergency of any kind, it seems like the fire, yeah. fire department yeah. is involved in some way. And so how did you get involved with, um, so, or did you get involved in the LGBTQ community on Vashon? Like, was there so, like a coordinated community here? Yeah, there was the Pride Foundation or Pride. It's been called a lot of different names <laughs> over the years. And so I plugged into that and I would go out for women's softball, but I'm not much of a softball player. But they used to have these um, events once a year, auctions, that I would help plan. And they were a lot of fun. What, why don't we go to um, go back to the Peace Corps? Yeah, so that's how I left the fire district, actually. Oh. Um, I got accepted to the Peace Corps. My partner wasn't real happy about it. And 
it was something I always wanted to do. And I got assigned to Mali, West Africa, which was like a dream come true. And so I went to Mali. And my projects were for small enterprise developing. And I worked in a pretty good-sized town called Coachella. It's considered the cotton capital of Mali. And I worked with the Bogolan Association. And, and Bogolan is the dyeing process that you see mud cloth. And it's dyed with fermented mud. Wow. Which was right up my alley because I, I sew. I've sewn my whole life and love textiles. And when I first got in the Peace Corps, the director of the Small Enterprise Development Department wanted me to go teach accounting and go to work every day. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) And, you know, I I really wanted to sort of feel out what the people wanted. And they all wanted to do more exporting. Well, I did an assessment, and I felt like their product needed some help, you know, to improve their skills and their equipment and things like that. So that's really what I focused on a lot was product development and finding Bogolan, famous Bogolan artists in Mali that they could take classes. The The success of that is that one day this merchant from Japan showed up in Coachella, Mali. What are the odds of that, right? And with these cotton t-shirts and wanted the Bogolan artist all to make samples to see if he could sell them. Oh. And when he left, I had to tell my best friend, Koro, where Japan was. So I took her to my house to the world map and said, this is Japan. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, what are the odds? I know. And how long were you in Mali? Two and a half years. Wow, that's quite a bit of time. Yeah. When you left? Did you feel like you left sort of a bit of a legacy there in terms of how that was all structured? I did. I went back about a year later, year and a half, and I had done a soap project. And the Women's Association is still selling the soap in Mali. And I feel like that, I don't know if you know much about Mali, but Mali has a lot of Islamic extremists now. Okay. And when I was there, it was just starting to brew, and the Peace Corps was kind of keeping it from us. They were restricting us from different parts of Mali. And when I went back, the whole northern part of Mali had been taken over by Islamic extremists. And it just, it, it breaks my heart. It not only destroyed the local economies a lot, but it, it destroyed a lot of the internet part of their communications and networking to be able to export some of their products. Wow. And have you been back to Mali since that year afterwards? No, I had one planned about two years ago. And I got news that a nun had been kidnapped near Coachella. Mm. And I contacted my Malian friend that works at the U.S. Embassy. And he said, you know, Meredy, it's not a good time to go. I wouldn't recommend it. So I had to cancel my trip. And I know it broke their heart and it broke my heart. It's been a really hard to sort of separate from that. Yeah. And when you meet people who are interested in Peace Corps and getting involved, do you have any sort of recommendations or reflections on the process as a whole? Well, I think you need to get be creative and observe a lot. Don't, you know, take off your white... American lens 
I think that's the biggest obstacle that I found. And I think that my military background and living in different cultures when I was a young kid really benefited my service in the Peace Corps. It's really uh, helpful whenever you travel internationally, too. I think there's some advice in there for Absolutely. all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thinking a little bit about your days, these days now back on Vashon, how did you get involved with the Vashon Heritage Museum? Well, Alan, one of the curators, called me one day and asked me if I was interested in being on the advisory committee. And I'd had uh, some email interactions with her. I, I knew her through the community, but she had helped with uh, the History Museum over in Seattle for an LBGTQ exhibit. And I'd had some emails with her about that because I'd gone to see it. So she knew that I knew a little bit about LBGTQ history in the area. And we met for coffee, and then I started going to the meetings, and I was really interested. I have a lot of, I wrote for the SGN for many years. What's that? The Seattle Gay News. Okay. And I also wrote a history piece on the Seattle Gay Pride March in 1991 that was quoted a lot in a friend of mine's master's thesis for her geography degree. And Bruce at the museum actually mined an article in the Seattle magazine that quoted me 10 years later from that article, which I had never seen. Wow. Yeah. So (laughs) it was, it sort of revived my interest in the history, not that it ever waned a whole lot, but it was like, oh, wow, I guess I really am a lesbian historian. I never thought of myself that way. I hadn't really, actually. (laughs) And what is sort of when somebody asks you what the history of the LGBTQ community on Vashon, like what it has been the history? You know, I think that it's been integrated more than a lot of other places. Mm hmm. It's, it was interesting because when I moved to Vashon, I'd never had a neighbor come over and welcome me to the neighborhood, really? even in Seattle, ever. And it was like, wow. And they, they asked me and my partner, like, welcome to Vashon. And Laura and I looked at each other. Wow, I guess we're mainstream now. Because, <laughs> you know, I'd lived in the gay ghetto for 30 years. And people on Vashon just weren't ghettoized in the same way. I mean, there was a community and there was a lot of networking and probably a little tighter bond, mm. but not isolated like in Seattle on Capitol Hill. Got it. And so these days with your work with the Heritage Museums, what the In and Out um, exhibit, can you describe that to folks who haven't yet seen the exhibit? Exhibit is about LBGTQ life on Vashon. I think one of the biggest impacts for me in the exhibit is the um, the stories that they recorded, mm. the oral histories of people. And unfortunately, when, when you go in and you look at the museum for 10 or 15 minutes, you don't really have time. And I really encourage Vashonites to take the time maybe once a week. It's going to be there all year just to go in, put on the headphones, listen to an oral history one or two when they go in there when they have time. To me, that's that's the big 
sort of heart impact in that exhibit. Yeah. And is the exhibit free or? Yes, it's free. Just make sure you sign in. They're trying to count everybody who goes in. Okay. Yeah, that sounds easy enough. Fair, fair swap. And so what is the, the queer film festival that you're also working on? The film festival is one of the projects that the exhibit people have taken on. They, in the beginning, they wanted to have events throughout the year. And the film festival was one way to sort of keep the momentum going up. I can't remember all the different events that they have. I know that they've sort of revived the LBGTQ New Year's Eve dance, which we haven't had in many years. And there'll be things throughout the year that will come up that everyone's welcome to, to celebrate our community. And what's the best way for folks to stay on top of what's happening? Is there a website or? Yeah, they can go to the museum website okay. and sign up for their notices. And they put out notices on events. We just starting the media campaign for the film festival. And so it should be up on the website here pretty soon. And how do you find the, the films that are going to be part of the festival? I mean, how did I find them or how did we find them? Yeah. Or how did you, how did you, how do you curate um, films to bring? Well, we wanted a good diversity and it was really important for me to have a parity between men and women. Mm. And I'm kind of a film buff and I've probably seen a lot of the gay films a hundred times. Desert Hearts actually is one of my favorites, but it's not in the film festival. And I've probably seen that over 300 times. Wow. And Torch Song Trilogy, which is the next film coming up, I've probably seen hundreds of times. I have the DVD. No spoilers, please. Yeah, no spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And um, so as you as you look forward to the, the coming year, Personally, what's kind of really exciting you these days or what's really inspiring you? Well, you know, I've been retired for four years and I've traveled a lot, done a lot of internships. But this winter is more of an internal journey for me. Mm. I've been writing my memoir for about a year and I just got accepted at Hugo House for a year long memoir class, which means no traveling for me, but I get to write all year. I also do a blog now. I actually did a blog while I was in the Peace Corps and then kind of did a hiatus for many years, but I revised that about three years ago. And a lot of writing ahead for me. I'm pretty excited about it. Really cool. It sounds like you've got a lot to cover in a memoir. So please keep us in in the loop so that we can uh, share with everyone listening, (laughs) our Voice of Ashon community, once once that's out. I'd love Um, to do that. And... Meredith, so we end every show with a fun lightning round of questions just to get you to get to get to know you a little bit better. Are you game? Sure. Cool. All right. So the first question is the Seattle area is known for good beverages, whether it's coffee, tea, beer, wine. Do you have a favorite beverage here on Fashion? Probably the roastery coffee. Mm. My daughter used to roast there, so I have a partial oh. uh, liking to that. Yum. That's a good one. And if you're not at home or working, um, where can people most often find you on the island? Like, do you have any favorite haunts? On my bicycle on the road. Okay. (laughs) Still to this day. That's awesome. Absolutely. (laughs) And do you have any pet peeves about island living? 
Well, you know, every Vashonite has their pet peeves. I think that's one thing our community is <laughs> known for. <laughs> it's one thing we all have in common. <laughs> I know. So uh, I, I try not to let my pet peeves out. I think it's my biggest pet peeve for myself. Oh, okay, good. Uh, I, I learned that at the fire district. <laughs> okay, good, good. All right, that's fair enough. And do you have a favorite Vashon Island tradition? Well, I like the Strawberry Festival. A lot of times some of my family will come over for that. I like gardening. I think that's mm. during the summer, if I'm not on my bike, you'll find me in my garden, just me in my garden. And it's just a great time for me. Yeah. There's a lot of gardeners, um, really talented gardeners across the island. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not that, but I do spend a lot of time there. <laughs> you do like it. Great. And lastly, um, where can people find you to learn more about you and your work? I guess through the, the, museum's website we can find out more about the film festival and the exhibit well actually i'm on facebook and i post my blog on my facebook page oh good and that's where i draw from a lot of my readers for my blog okay and is that just your your name meredy bonadilla there's not many of us around awesome that's why i thought it'd be a good page to, (laughs) to corner the market there yes definitely great well we'll check it out um, and thank you so much for coming in today, Meredy. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Again, this is Inspired Island on Voice of Vashon, KVSH 101.9 FMLP. Until next time, stay inspired.